Welcome, everybody, to our fifth episode of Fly on the Wall podcast. My name is Christian Mesa. My name is Justin McCartney. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Where's Aaron? Aaron? Aaron could not join us today, so yours truly, the managing director of Fly on the Wall, will be joining you as uh, Christian's co-host. Yeah, guys, there is a lot going on right now. Justin has now usurped Aaron as the podcast <laughs> host. Um, there is breaking news flying everywhere, so let's get right into it, because there is a ton we want to talk about before we bring on our guest, you know, shed some light on everything that's going on. Um, let's talk about the big story that's breaking right now. Um, Very no, close to home for us. Uh, no, it is not Trump and Russia. No, it is not Gorsuch's hearings. No, it is not the American Healthcare Act. It is our tweet of the week this week comes from at Casual Hoya, who tweeted out on Thursday at about 1 p.m. and freaked out the entire Georgetown campus. And I quote, developing. John Thompson three will not return as head coach of Georgetown. This is huge. I don't know why it's not all over CNN. I don't know why this isn't everything I've ever seen on my Twitter timeline, but this is a big story. We at Fly on the Wall will keep you updated with anything we have. But so far, it looks like JT3 is out as our men's basketball coach. You know, I think those entire year of fire JT3 chants that um, people, um, I have no idea who, have been chanting from the student <laughs> section. Um, and this is a big deal for Georgetown's campus, um, and it doesn't look like it was amicable. It looks like he was fired, but again, we don't know for sure. Which is interesting. There is so much family history there. This was absolutely not what I expected. This is a big deal. Um, and as we said earlier, CNN was not covering it because CNN was currently having an aneurysm over what they should cover. It is a busy week here in Washington. Um, they There have been a lot of questions this week um, over what CNN should be following because there are two huge stories that are going out this week um the first or there are really like five but um you know the big three that we're focusing on here at fly on the wall um you know james coney the director of the fbi um admitted to the fact that his organization was investigating trump russia ties um which is a huge deal definitely um you know no matter what you what side you end up on the political sphere um and so cnn was struggling over whether they should cover those hearings um or they should be covering supreme court nominee neil gorsuch's hearings um, which were also a really big deal. If you want to know more about that, check out our third episode. We talk a ton about um, the SCOTUS nomination process. So if you want to wonder how he got there, um, definitely check that out. Yeah, and that'll be something that we'll be following um, a lot more in the next couple of days. Um, there most likely won't be any votes on that for a little while, but you know, this is the critical part. This is where you find out what uh, Neil Gorsuch's thoughts are on the Constitution, um, on the role of the Supreme Court in the broader federal structure. Um, the senators will try and push him on uh, some of his personal views, although uh, he definitely has um, a lot of precedent as a, a Supreme Court nominee and not answering a lot of them. Uh, theoretically, the hearings are supposed to stay on really his his theory on what his judgeship will look like. Yeah, and of course, that's never how they actually work Absolutely out. Absolutely not. Um, at the end of the day, <laughs> these are incredibly political hearings. Um, so if you guys really want to see deal-breaking in Washington at its finest, deal-making really too, um, definitely check out those hearings because when it comes down to those votes, at the end of the day, the two things that senators really talk about why they voted yes or no are the calls I've been getting from constituents and um, those hearings, um, things that he said in those hearings. So those are the two really big things that they come back to. Sure. Um, but the other big thing we're seeing in Washington right now is the American Health Care Act. Big day today. It is, the, it is a huge day today. And obviously we here at Fly on the Wall like to be a little ahead of ourselves. So we won't <laughs> actually know um, whether or not the American Healthcare Act passed at the time of this recording, by the time it goes out, um, there will be a vote and we will know for sure. But deal making in Washington is 
insane. Justin, you want to tell us what you saw yesterday when you were on the Hill? Sure. So uh, I'm an intern in the congressional office, and I can testify that it has been one of the most exciting times since Election Day, really, with the vote on the American Health Care Act coming up sometime later today, tonight, tomorrow. Um, we know that uh, the speaker wants to get it done today, um, but there's not confirmation that he has enough votes. So yesterday, um, up on the hill, I saw big billboards directing media where to go. There were cameras set up at the exit when I was trying to get out. Um, definitely not looking for me, unfortunately. Uh, but all kinds of phone calls, um, all kinds of emails with constituents expressing their opinions, um, how they wanted the Congress people to vote. Uh, it's it's exciting, really, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But it's kind of heartening to see democracy working at its finest. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, a prime example of grassroots organizing by a lot of different healthcare organizations um, and political organizations in the states. We're even seeing some governors, really Republican governors even. Um, Rick Schneider of Michigan told his congressional delegation not to vote for the bill. Uh, and a lot of the reasons behind that was because his constituents are benefiting from uh, the Medicaid expansion. Yeah, there is a lot going on. There's a lot of pushback to this um, legislation. The key number we're looking for is 22. That is 22 Republicans who need to defect for this bill to fail. Um, because, you know, Republicans uh, have a huge majority in the House right now. So I'm sure a certain House ma majority whip is frantically on the phone <laughs> constantly. Um, Justin, have you possibly seen him? There anyway. may or may not have been confirmed fighting or concerns, confirmed sightings of Majority Whip Steve Scalise in Dunkin' Donuts yesterday morning on the phone with I do not know who trying to whip votes for the bill. So I would it, be I would be shocked if he was not on his phone all the time, basically he was, over he was the next speaking day. Very loudly. Is it desperate <laughs> times? We will find out later today. Um, the big question we're looking at is right now the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus is you know the um, very right wing of the Republican Party. Um, and they have concerns of their own with the American Health Care Act. Um, and they are a huge part of, you know, the Republican Party and the Republican caucus. Um, and if they break, um, this deal is going to be very hard to pass. So it is really um, a big day for us at Fly on the Wall. I think I would love to be a fly on the wall in Paul Ryan's office right wow, now. I would love that. Um, but it really comes back to the fundamental question. You know, Republicans have been talking about repeal and replace for the last seven years. It mm -hmm. is the seventh birthday of the... Um, ACA. Happy birthday. Um, and um, it really comes to why is this so hard? You know, repeal and replace has been the mantra for Republicans for literally seven years, you know, since this got passed. Um, and you now have Republicans going against this bill, Republican senators um, and Republican congressmen, Republican governors, like you talked about. So it really comes comes back to the question, this is difficult. Why? Um, and the reason for that is actually our guest um, on this podcast this week. Um, this week we have Marlon Marshall. He started working for Kerry in 04 um, at you know local politics, local level, and then worked local level for Hillary in 2008 as well. Um, and then worked for the Obama White House for a couple of years, um, you know, in the Office of Public Engagement. You know, really his focus is local politics. You know, even if he um, ends up becoming a national strategist for Hillary's campaign in 2016 as the director of state campaigns, you know, his focus is getting back to you know, mayors and, um, you know, local councilmen and really talking to them. And uh, he's a really fascinating individual because at the end of the day, you know, that you have this huge map of 50 states and Marlon really doesn't look at 50 states as much as he looks at, um, you know, different constituencies and different groups um, and really just, you know, towns. Um, and he's really an expert in that. 
basically when he worked in the Office of Public Engagement for Obama's White House, he was in charge of the grassroots enrollment effort for the Affordable Care Act. So that was seven years ago today, he started his job at calling mayors on the phone, calling local governors, um, and really telling them, you know, this is why you need to have your people enroll. Uh, and, you know, some could argue that what we're seeing today, this kind of mass pushback uh, from, you know, regardless of political spectrum, just people all across the country who aren't happy with where this act is going and the uh, potential that it could really roll back their coverage, uh, a testament to his success. Um, so with that in mind, you know, let's stop talking. Uh, <laughs> let's talk to him. You guys want to listen to him. So we are here with Marlon Marshall. What up? Uh, Marlon, welcome to our podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Appreciate you are, you, uh, you are a part of our fifth episode, so okay. that's pretty exciting. Hey. Yeah, we're official now. There you go. I'm at the bell number five. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, you know, let's dive right into your experiences. Yeah. Let's dive into some of your background. Um, talk to us about your background in politics. You know, how'd you get your start? How'd you decide, you know, politics and you know, public services was the way you wanted to go with your life? Uh, the exact situation you guys are in. I was a college student at the University of Kansas who tonight is playing in the Sweet 16. Just want to point that out. I got a winning. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Check your brackets, everybody. Um, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, they will be in the Final Four. Um, and um, a, actually, it's a funny story. A guy who's now a member of Congress, Kevin Yoder, uh, went to KU and I was kind of involved in my floor freshman year and he he was running for student president and so he came over and he was like you should be on my ticket and run for student senate and I was like alright <laughs> um, and so he had like a pretty progressive ticket at the time he since no longer that way um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so I ran for student senate and I loved it uh, I loved the campaigning side of things I loved uh doing stuff on behalf of students at the university. So I was student center twice, student body vice president in college, um, where we did a big initiative on uh, minority recruitment and retention at the University of Kansas. And I just fell in love. And I was like, public service, you know, like at that, that point in time, I was, you know, concentrated obviously at the University of Kansas, but I was like, how do I take that bigger and make a career out of this? Um, so I switched my major. I remember calling my mom, kind of engineering <laughs> major. I was like, I'm switching to communication studies. And she was like, what? <laughs> she, made, she made hung up on me. Uh, but now she's good. Um, and uh, I haven't stopped. I haven't looked back. I didn't. I just got involved in campaigns a couple years after I finished college and kept going. Must have been a scary call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really the idea. We actually just had our uh, our new student administration yeah. inaugurated last weekend. Yeah. There's a couple of us who work on the pod that are getting involved in student politics. So it's, awesome. it's good to hear we're on the right track. You're, you're definitely get, on the right track. Get yeah, to be where you are on today. The right um, so you obviously have had a lot of different roles. You've worked yeah. both in the White House, a lot on campaigns, yeah. um, and a lot at the local level, which yep. is something you know that really excites us and obviously is very topical. Um, so just to start off a bit more general, could you talk about um, what you sort of did on a day-to-day basis in some of those roles? Um, and you know, one of a, the cool little questions we like to ask is, what is a little thing you did every day that no one would know, um, but definitely contributed to your success on a day-to-day basis? So I'll start with that one. Um, in Nevada in 08, so I was the field director for Hillary in mm-hmm. the primary, um, we had a, like a notebook 
And every every day I would go in there and write out my schedule in the notebook, right? This was before maybe iPhone like just come yeah. out, right? But um uh to the half hour. So we make these and our organizers did this too, we make these blocks uh and we say like, you know, coffee, breakfast, I mean like as detailed as possible. Uh and it was a way to really help me manage my time. Because uh, when you're out there doing campaigns, it's so easy to you're you know doing something for two hours. And you're like, where did two hours? Yeah, imagine. <laughs> right. uh, so that was a little something I did. Try to do every single day as a way to be as effective a manager um, uh, as possible. Um, and then just a little bit about some of the roles I did. Um, but some of the local stuff was you know getting out there, knocking on doors, mm-hmm. talking to talking to voters, and really having conversations about. Um, you know, what was at stake in that particular election. I learned early on that building a relationship and telling your story is extremely important, right? You can't go talk to somebody and be like, let me tell you all the policy components of blah, 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 bill or what this person stands for. You got to connect to their values. Um, And so when you talk about why you're out there volunteering, how, you know, it, it means something to you because your mother was a teacher for 36 years and didn't have the resources she needed to actually teach public uh, school students um, that's more powerful than like let me tell you about you know this laundry list of things that sure. this person uh, wants to do so I learned that early on um, so that was a lot of things I did at the local level which I'm very passionate about uh, to this day about how do we um, start winning have progressives win at the local level yeah we'll get into that a lot more <laughs> um, and then um, in the White House some of my day to day honestly was around uh, we were we had to call ourselves the front door um, of the administration, so mm-hmm. we were in the office of public engagement. So a lot of people who want to interact with the administration would come in through our department, and we either would connect them to the right agency or work with them around the initiative on behalf of the president. Um, and I did a lot of work around the Affordable Care Act, which mm-hmm. is a little bit timely right now. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, working with our team that actually work a lot with mayors, going back to the local level. Um, on doing different outreach in their communities and figuring out a way for the White House to also amplify that outreach through the bully pulpit of the presidency. So um, it's been awesome. There's a little bit, a little bit of everything. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all about um, making sure you are relating and building a relationship with the average voter on um, what's at stake for them. You brought up a good point. You know, you know, you talked about how you organized a lot of the ACA. Can you talk a little bit about you know what that looked like? You know, what you did on a day to day basis. You know, yeah. how you developed. Can you know kind of that ground game for people getting enrolled in the Affordable Care Act? Sure. Yeah, because right now, I mean, we're seeing with the <laughs> AHCA that's getting voted on later today. Um, a lot of resistance and a lot of that's coming from the local levels. There's yeah. been Republican governors who are urging their congressional delegations to vote no because it's going to reflect poorly on them. Yep. Because your work with the ACA. Um, and getting that implemented at the state level and, and having the effectiveness really felt by those communities. Um, you know, this this seems like a, a successful, you know, a proven success for you um, with that we're seeing all this resistance. Well, I think that um, uh, a lot of a lot of good folks, you know, obviously led by the president, were uh, a part of not only passing the Affordable Care Act, but then getting folks to sign up. Um, it was awesome. What we, what we did from the White House was we looked at the top number or the cities with the highest number of uninsured mm-hmm. um, uh, residents, uh, top 30, um, and said, how do we, how can we do as much local stuff as possible in those cities, right? Uh, so we would call mayors, in most cases mayors are Democratic, but in some cases they're Republicans, and say, how do we work with you? Uh, a lot of those mayors did um, events uh, in their cities where they were um, 
have enrollment events and they would go there and the you know the TVs would go there and show the mayor and that way you were getting a lot of earned media around it um, which was awesome uh, and you know we worked with mayors to do radio and then the president would uh, do radio every week calling into some of those um, you know they call it the Dallas radio and oh, wow. encourage people to he'd have the enrollment event be like you know Dallas show up today at blah 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 um, enrollment event right and you, you know you hear President Obama's on the radio. Uh, you're like, ah, I need to go, you know, do that. So we did a lot of that, and then, um, you know, every day we had like a little list of things that were happening, uh, and then we tried to create again what I call air cover from the White House. So um, if you haven't seen that, I encourage everyone to go look at between two firms that happened uh, <laughs> a few years ago with the president, and just creating moments that would generate buzz and really getting the uh, into the bloodstream was important. Uh, and then another really powerful moment was we brought in a bunch of YouTube stars uh, to the White House to meet with the president. Uh, and then from there, they went back and, and on their own created content that they didn't share on YouTube, right? So, um, you know, ways to reach people both on the ground, uh, but through this digital social media landscape that we live in now uh, was some of the things that we tried to do. And uh, ultimately, everyone's work together um, proved to be successful. And I think it's mostly successful because... People just want that, uh, you know, they want insurance. They want to know that if something were to happen, they're going to be okay. Uh, and, you know, our job was to amplify that and let them know how to get it. Uh, but at the end of the day, people just want that uh, security. Uh, and um, and you see that now, now that so many people have signed up, um, you know, we don't want to kick people off the rolls. And, and the, unfortunately, that's what the Republican uh, solution, solution mm-hmm. in quotes, uh, would do. And um, you know, I, I hope it does not pass today, and if it does, I hope uh, it's dead on arrival at the Senate. Sure. Uh, as an intern in a congressional office, I can yeah. definitely attest to a lot of that public sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> so you should feel proud of your work, because it definitely good. worked. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on the same vein of, of working on the very local level, uh, it's been something that Democrats have been, um, you know, kind of faulted for uh, in the Obama years. Um, and, you know, it's been a point of blame maybe for um, how things are now with Donald Trump and really just um, Republican dominance in a lot of the state mm-hmm. um, and governor mansions and things like that. Um, but since the election, um, we're seeing a big time grassroots movement um, in the Democrat and progressive um, just energy at the local level. There was a you know high, pro- high profile victory in Delaware that kept the Democratic majority in the state legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a big congressional com- or a special election coming up in Georgia mm-hmm. um, with John Ossoff. So, could you talk to us about like what this reaction means to you, someone who's worked um, just in your career so closely mm-hmm. uh, in that sort of vein, um, and then perhaps more importantly, how can Democrats sustain that sort of ground level momentum um, that they've garnered after this election into 2018 and beyond? Starting with your, your second question, I think Democrats, the party, we have to, the, from national parties, state parties, all collectively, we have to think national parties to help state parties do this. And I'm excited about the chairmanship of mm-hmm. uh, Perez and, who, and, and Keith, Congressman Ellison, who's helping him out. And who will be coming next week the, through geopolitics. Oh, so perfect. students, check it out. Perfect. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, we can't just be organizing. Um, around campaigns. Mm-hmm. We have to have a, a, a team on the ground all day, every day. It takes a long time to build relationships. It takes a long time to build trust in communities when you're an organizer and you're um, saying, I'm here and I'm going to show you that I'm going to, you know, these people are working on your behalf. Um, and so I think the first thing we need to do is, is you know, have, get the resources and really invest in having that infrastructure be there permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of the resources, oh, and it, it's, it's extremely hard. And um, you know, I know that's something that uh, again the new chairman is really um, uh, passionate about. And I think it's something as we move forward, um, uh, we will see. But um, I, I don't like the. Uh, I think it's awesome the energy is out there right now. Um, I think that it will continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is. It is easy it's hard to organize when you uh, it's hard to move something forward when you're like the party in power right mm-hmm. so um you know i used the aca in 2010 as an example when we lost house seats it's very easy for the opposition to just be like this is bigger government you know let's vote them out sure. right versus again trying to connect and tell that story about why the aca is good now we're on the flip side of it where they're trying to pass this other bill and it's easier for us to be like you're really gonna knock all these people off insurance um, so organizing for something is harder than organizing against something. Um, and I think that's part of the reason, you know, in a way, I think, you know, you have the president. Um, uh, unfortunately, we, we kind of lost touch of making sure that we were doing everything we need to do at the local level. Uh, but I think folks know, that, you know, with, with Trump as president, anything's possible. So we, all, we have to, it has to be a sustainable effort. It can't just be somewhere President Kennedy pops up, we start doing stuff, and then we kind of back off. And I think... Um, this election just proved that. I think folks are ready to move forward. And what I'm excited about is you're seeing a lot of people um, who want to run for office mm-hmm. at all levels, mayors, uh, county commissioners, um, you know, progressive Democrats of all ages, a lot of the young people, which is exciting, who want to run. I think that's that's what needs to happen is, that, is, is getting folks in the system who can run so that way you can change the system. Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time for us as young people, yeah. as we're like coming of age in the political world, to see this sort of energy yeah. and really democracy working at its best. Yeah. And you know, from our perspective, that's something that's just you can appreciate no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Just yeah. seeing democracy work at its at its most ground level. Totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about campaign strategy. Sure. Um, you know, you are somewhat of a campaign strategy guru. You've worked uh, strategy for the last couple of Hillary elections. Um, Every, every four years, we hear, um, you know, new candidates come out saying you're going to run a 50-state strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that becomes harder and harder um, with partisan politics. Um, you know, we haven't seen anything close to a 50-state strategy since, like, the 80s, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what does a 50-state strategy mean, you know, at this time, <laughs> at this point? Um, and, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to prioritize certain states over other states. So, you know, how do you prioritize those certain states while still running somewhat of a 50K state strategy? So I think there's two ways to look at this. If you are the party should be invested in 50 states, because mm-hmm. even if we don't win, um, you know, turn um, Alaska, no, I'm use Texas. If we don't turn <laughs> Texas blue in 2020, if we're not starting to build the bench and get some local folks elected and then start in, and then turn that into congressional seats changing and it turns to where Democrats are in charge of redistricting, which then will change how some of the landscape. If we don't start from the, the ground up in states like Texas, well, Texas will never be blue. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, all politics is local. Like, um, Phil government obviously gets all the attention. It does a lot, of, a lot it, as it should. Um, but the party cannot ignore, you know, these mayor's races where people are making decisions that affects folks' lives around infrastructure and, you know, other local things that every day um, people wake up and are, and are feeling. So um, Democrats have to do that. They have to have a 50-state strategy in terms of saying, like, 
how do we make sure that you know we're starting to pick off little by little and getting some you know sparks uh, some parts blue mm-hmm. here and there. Um, presidential candidates is hard, right? Um, you you're trying to get the most electoral votes, and so um, you can have a presence in all fifty states and have some staff in all fifty states. But then the day um, you're going to look at which states are going to be the closest. Um, that's where you're going to put your most of your resources, the Floridas, the Ohio's uh, of the world, uh, and try to win because then you're trying to get more electoral votes than folks in the way the system is currently set up uh, and the way that resources are limited. You got to, you know, have those 10 to 15, 20 states where you're you know, targeting your candidate's time, your resources, et cetera. And so uh, and unless the electoral system were to change, uh, which I will not comment on. <laughs> um, uh, we'll leave that for another episode. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's the way it's going to be in presidential elections. Um, you know, I, uh, Secretary Clinton was always... Um, very passionate about like we gotta make sure we have um, a presence at least everywhere mm-hmm. right we may not have hundreds and hundreds of staff in Montana uh, but we gotta have a presence everywhere because if she went, would win she'd be present for everybody right sure. and so uh, I agree with that um, and having you know some type of presence and being able to support aggressors infrastructure everywhere uh, but you gotta prioritize where your resources go Something that you said that you know was really interesting to me and uh, makes a lot of sense with your background is you said all politics is local, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, you know you're you're looking at a map, yeah. right? You know you're looking at a map of the United States. How do you break that down to such a local level? You know what connections do you need to make with? Uh, you know how do you know who the local stakeholders are? Um, and you know what kind of research goes into that? Sure. Yeah. Do you have some follow? I mean, yeah, especially I mean because you're the person that dealt with this mm-hmm. um, last year. So I mean. Do you get on the phone with mayors again? Do you yeah. have connections? Are, are you there? Um, how does that all work, really, from like, so, your perspective? In a, in a, let's, uh, let's use Ohio again as an example. Um, you know, we had a state director. He had a leadership team, right? Uh, political director, field director, um, you know, a few other uh, important key folks. Um, you know, then they would split the state into regions. So there was a regional director in you know, Northeast Ohio, a regional director in the Cincinnati area, et cetera. Um, and then they would split that into different parts of the region where you had an organizer, um, you know, in just Cleveland, and then you had another organizer in a different part of Northeast Ohio, right? Actually, we split Cleveland to multiple parts. <laughs> so, um, so you kind of, there's leadership, and then you kind of break it down, right? And you have, you know, Northeast Ohio had a, had his own political director who would be in charge of uh, making those relationships and mm-hmm. talking to folks. So, um it's about how you staff up. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of calls with uh, elected officials at local levels. Um, mostly where my team thought it could be important for them to hear from uh, uh, headquarters about the strategy. Uh, so I would call on my team with, uh, I would call just to support the team and, you know, um, help them out wherever I could. Uh, but it is local. And like in, in the states where we had a lot of staff, we tried to, you know, make that as uh, we had as robust as, as staff as possible, and everyone had their role in terms of who they were talking to, but try to touch as many people as possible. So that sounds like um, that worked for you. Also, just on a personal level, we've heard a lot about your presence just in the campaign team um, and how you were really just a beacon of optimism. <laughs> um, would you mind just, just talking about that? Because, I mean, in a national campaign in particular, there's got to be so many road bumps. It's such a long process. I mean, I can't imagine you don't have staff every other day getting demoralized or exhausted how do you, not only as a leader, but just you on a personal level, keep up that optimism and, and spread that throughout the campaign? Because that's got to be so critical. Yeah, I, you know, if you, half of campaigns, half of 
life is mental. Um, and if you go into a campaign or go into a day or go into a meeting and you think you're going to lose, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always in my just everyday being uh, try to just wake up and think about what's what am I trying to accomplish that day and what's the best case scenario that can happen and if it happens great and if not at least I try to get there sure uh, so I was actually talking to someone the other day and, th- and they said you know what are you most proud of from the campaign I said despite losing um, I know that even when the you know polls and both internal and external said that we were up in all these states everyone worked their butts off uh, and I, I don't I don't I can go to sleep at night knowing that everyone gave it their all uh, and so, um, you know, I've just learned in terms of over time of being a leader that you have to lead by example. And I'm a true believer that uh, model behavior uh, is important. And uh, if you want the organization to be a certain way, that starts with how you are in your day to day. And so that's just how I am. And that's, you know, that's. My natural nature, I don't know why, uh, where I wake up, you know, get hype. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm known on a campaign sometimes with throwing chairs, not at people, <laughs> not at people. Not at people. Um, just like towards the ground or wall or something. Uh, and, um, Whatever it takes. Exactly. And, you know, it's fun. I mean, like, you know, you what I, what I love the most about campaigns outside of what I think are important outcomes for citizens are the family you build and the camaraderie mm-hmm. you make. And I met my wife on a campaign and... Uh, you, you know, when we got married, like, you know, three quarters of people there, we had come from <laughs> campaigns because you spend all day with these folks and you share values, but you all come from different places. And it's the epitome of, you know, in my opinion, what life should be about. Everyone comes from a different place and you all respect each other, but you know, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make it and make a better life for our, our family and friends. So. Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, you're talking to an audience that either dreams of or will end up working on a campaign. Yeah, someday, yo, do it, do so. it, do it. I'm retired, so you got to do it. You got to do it. Our turn now. Yeah, talk, exactly. Talk to us about a moment, you know, a specific moment on the campaign um, where you, you know, where it was really hard to pick yourself back up, or it was really hard to, you know, continue that optimism, continue that fight. You know, a moment where you maybe threw more than one chair. Um, <laughs> when I throw chairs, is out of good moments. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's like, oh, they hit their goals, chair. Uh, uh, so it's good moments. Yes, that's an important clarification. Um, the primary was really tough because um, it was long, and while I think primaries are good, it just was. Um, uh, it was tough, and every time you would, you know, we did, we, particularly March 15th, actually was probably the best moment for me on the campaign. We won five states. Uh, there was five states on that day. We won all five. Um, you know, we knew mathematically it'd be hard for Senator Sanders to, to come back, um, and it was an amazing moment. Uh, but then you kind of keep going, right? And, mm-hmm. and as because he did not, as he, you know, every right to didn't didn't bow out. He kept going. He won the Canadian his message and fight for for delegates um and that was that was it that was there was times where like you know you're you're it, we, i appreciate the fight but it was hard it was like i just need, I need a quick break <laughs> <laughs> before uh with the general election um so that was probably the hardest where you know you're just in like the april may of 2016 area you know the primary's kind of ending you gotta get ready for the general you gotta have a lot of you know get ready to hire a bunch of people um it was just tough. It was tough. Uh, we made it through, um, but it was tough. Definitely. Um, so a question we like to ask here mm-hmm. um, on Fly on the Wall is, 
you know, take us back to your favorite moment, you know, so far in your political career. You know, what if, you know, um, what is going on your the top of your highlight reel? Ooh. <laughs> SC top 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. Can I, can I rattle off a couple? Yeah, oh, for sure. Okay. okay. Um, one is that March 15 moment. That mm-hmm. actually was, that was a, you know, again, given how, the, how tough the primary was, it was a really, really spe- special moment. Um, two is, in, I, my, like, first real full-time campaign was Carry 04 and, um, uh, in Kansas City, and it was, um, there was a volunteer leader named Barbara Hershey. I actually ran, ran across her contact information yesterday. I was going to call her. We talked to her forever. Um, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, Barbara! Uh, but she, um, like, did whatever. And it was, like, the first time I, like, saw, like, like, outside of college, like, organizing kind of take place and how, like, much someone could care about their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just witnessing that and being her, like, organizer uh, was an awesome moment. Um, and then, uh, last but not least, um, two others, quick, two quick, quick ones. Um, winning Nevada in 08 was awesome on the Hillary primary team. Uh, and then, uh, even though we barely lost Missouri in 2008, just seeing President Obama be elected was, you know, life-changing. And I, there's a bunch of White House stories I can tell you, but we don't have time for all <laughs> After the episode, uh, <laughs> the day we hit seven million enrollment, um, oh yeah, uh, on ACA, uh, and getting the chance to go to all the office and celebrate the president. Yeah, that's what was that like? A... <laughs> that was, I mean, he. See, I get this email, so you know, the enrollment deadline ends like March thirty first, and there was all this like public hype on hitting seven million. Mm-hmm. In a way that, like, if you don't hit seven million, then the system was going to break, which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we hit it and you know um, everyone knows how you know there was like website issues etc when you start so like coming back from that was like woo um, and we hit it and so then a- a- April 1st uh, you get this email and I was like please meet in the Oval Office at 11 o'clock and I was like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm like what I do yeah. um, and it was like six of us I can't remember small group of us so we go in and he like brings us in and he's just like bring it in there's like a group uh, hug and I was just like what is happening <laughs> there are a few people happening? who can say they group hugged with the president it was pretty awesome I have, there's a picture of it it's on my wall it's pretty awesome it's probably just nice to know you weren't getting fired I know I was <laughs> like but we hit our goal <laughs> like, this is a good meeting and it was, a, it was an outstanding day that's incredible yeah well, we like to do a bit of um, our own version of local organizing here in the pod, and that okay. is gathering a student question okay. um, each week. And this week's question is from Alec Kamhai, uh, <laughs> who is a freshman in the college majoring in math and economics. And his question for you uh, is, did the Hillary campaign use too much data, and is there even such a thing as too much data? I don't think so. Um, I don't think, uh, to me, it's like there's always going to be more and more and more and more data. It's about how you apply it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think we took the approach, um, my personal opinion, uh, that data makes you more efficient in how you use your resources. Um, you cannot use data to win or lose. You need to use data to make your decisions smarter 
and to make you more efficient on how you spend your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we did that. Um, I think that, again, uh, I think some polling things changed in the last week that, you know, given the Comey letter and all that stuff, that changed some things. Um, but you don't have unlimited resources to just talk to everyone. And so you had to figure out who, where is the best way to spend your resources. And we try to use data to, uh, to do that. Um, and there's a big talk right now about big data and stuff like that. And um, I think Chuck Ty wrote an article the other day about how big data is uh, changing things. And I don't disagree with some of the theories of like, okay, now data is being used on gerrymandering and, um, you know, how congressional districts are drawn and like what the political system looks sure. like. But in terms of making sure you're efficient, who you're speaking to with limited resources to try to win an election, um, I think we did the best we could. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, really blending the, the data and the, the kind of hard facts, but yeah. also the personal approach that you were talking right. about earlier is exactly. absolutely critical. Definitely right. very difficult. And like, you know, we didn't like robot call somebody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, you know, data would figure out what house you should try to talk to, but at the end of the day, that was a human interaction mm-hmm. uh, in terms of people knocking on doors. And um, yeah, I think we did the best we could. Can we yeah. a little short? So uh, we're, we're closing out here. Cool. But we do have a segment that we started last week that we really like, so we're bringing it back. For Bring it two. back. Uh, the lightning round. Oh, I love it. So, you know, first thought that comes to your mind, um, we're just going to go quickly through a couple of questions. Um, you know, tell us what you think. Uh, does John Ossoff win GA6? Yes. Nice. Uh, favorite moment of the 2016 campaign? March 15th. Got it. What's better, working in the White House or working on the campaign trail? Whew. He said lightning round. Uh, <laughs> you can, you can, you know, talk a little bit more if you want. Both. I, it's hard to pick. Uh, Understandably. I, they were both amazing experiences. Uh, I've had more campaign experiences, so I've made lean there, but I, or both. It was awesome. <laughs> both were awesome. This next one is something we internally at the pod have put a lot of thought into. So it is Girl Scout cookie season, as I'm sure you're aware. What is your theory for resisting those crafty salespeople outside of Saxby's? Don't walk by. <laughs> <laughs> Our co-host Aaron, who's not here today, has bought at least two or three boxes. Uh, yo, I, I, we have some, yeah, we ate some last night. <laughs> <laughs> My wife had them and I had the peanut butter over there. Do see those? Oh, oh, yeah. Woo! We also, My yeah, favorite. on a side note, we also did have an internal debate. Uh, we have learned <laughs> that there are regional differences in regards to what you call certain Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> so, for example, the do does um, are tagalongs for other people. Yeah. It's true. It's very yeah, different. It's, it's true. It, it was a wild thing we all realized um, in coming up with this. You know, a couple of days ago when we sat down to plan this podcast, we were all blown away by. We figured we had to get a, a better expert opinion on something like this. And I keep the lightning around so you can learn anything. Sure. Right. Yeah. And last one, more rhetorical. Do the Jayhawks go all the way? Duh. I certainly hope so. I have the top of my bracket. Rock shock. Yeah. Yes. yes. Justin wins his bracket. Yes. We're all sad. Yes. The rest of us in this bracket group lose. Um, but if they win, good. I'm going. If they win today and then Saturday, I'm going to the final four. So take us along with you. Yeah, Come on with me, Glendale, Arizona. Let's go podcast in the arena i think we can make it work yeah yeah. we can talk all day there um so our final question for you um you know the majority of our audience is college students you know what advice would you give to your freshman self if you had to go back to your college days um (laughs) uh blend getting involved and studying like and studying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say it because there was times in college where like, I started loving my extracurricular activities a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's relatable. Uh, right? Like I, like I love the, 
government and organizing and by the way the hosts are pointing at each other um, <laughs> and uh, um, called us out <laughs> you have to have a balance of both um, but you have to get involved in something like I would never have had the amazing college experience and I go back to KU often now because mm-hmm. I sit on some boards there because I, I, I'm enriched by what the university did to me um, and you will not have that experience unless you get involved in something anything start a club doesn't matter uh, but make sure you, you, you do right by your school work so that way you come out with a great degree and uh, you've been involved and it'll just make you a better rounded person definitely great advice for Georgetown students absolutely I think we tend to think of you know classes is another thing we do on campus <laughs> <laughs> one side thing um, classwork yeah definitely great advice Marlon Marshall thank you so much Thanks for coming me. on the podcast yeah, of course. Uh, we definitely learned a lot um, we really appreciate your insights great appreciate you guys appreciate what you're doing Rock Chuck J <laughs> I mean, that was an incredible conversation, really, for a lot of reasons. I personally just appreciate how topical it was, and we, we talked, obviously, a lot about the, the healthcare discussions going on, uh, that might be a temperate way to put it, um, but also really just something we're seeing across the country today, um, that for a young person like myself, who's really um, coming of age in the political world, uh, an awesome time for democracy. There are, you know, we, we see it, obviously, um, in the news with the Healthcare Act, but there are some local races which are getting a lot of coverage um, and a lot of participation, you know, record turnouts. Um, we're, just, we're just seeing a lot of people really passionate, um, really engaged, and not all in negative ways either, um, about how their politics works, um, what the government can do for them, um, and really just, just exercising their opinion um, and their right. Uh, and I'd like to think our founders would be proud of us today. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we really appreciate you guys all listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed our episode. If you, you know, want to know who we have on next week, definitely check out our social media accounts. We're at Fly on the Wall Pod on Twitter. We have a new Facebook page. Yeah, Fly like on us Wall. on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Like us on everything. We're on Instagram. Um, definitely check us out. Get some cool sneak peeks. Yeah. Um, you will we'll- want to stay tuned to those channels because we may or may not have a big little mini series project uh, to tease in the coming weeks that you guys are going to love and we are very, very excited about. So stay tuned to those channels. Yeah, guys, we're definitely working on something big in the mini series form. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's going to be great. Definitely check it out. I will quash expectations. We're not having President Trump on. Man, I wish. Honestly, if you would just answer my call, like it would be fine. We're trying our best. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Uh, definitely check us out next week, uh, next Friday. We are Fly on the Wall Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. I mean, honestly, Justin, like it's not that hard. You just say no to the Girl Scout cookie girls. Like it's not easy. You are a college student. You have like $10 to spend on food every week and you're going to spend like eight of them right. on Girl Scout cookies. Because college students are notorious for how well they spend their money. You know what? Sometimes I want tagalongs. Sometimes I want dosidos. Never do I want Russia invading my country. It's that simple. I will have to agree with you on that one.